Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the I'm in Tech podcast. And today, as I promised you yesterday, we're going to be reviewing the Wealth Choice Secrets to Black Millionaire Success, The Seven Laws of Wealth. So I'm um, currently renting this book off archive.org. I can only rent it for an hour, so I'll try to keep this video to an hour or less. I will also make time if anybody wants to um, have a discussion about what we are discussing today. So this book starts off with an introduction, and the introduction is a wealth of knowledge, the most powerful economic weapon. Now, my initial reaction to that is, wow, I had no idea that the most powerful economic weapon was knowledge, right? So that's not something that you hear in college. It's not something that you hear in elementary school, high school. It's not something that you hear every day. It's not something you hear on the news. So that is knowledge bomb number one. Uh, the most powerful economic weapon is knowledge. So the first law of wealth. If you don't know better, then you can't do better by John Hope Bryant. Why aren't you rich? Asked John H. Johnson, the founder and chief executive of Ebony Magazine, the nation's leading black publication, fired at me as I sat across from his desk in his plus Chicago headquarters. Caught off guard, I had never considered his question. I suggest that you consider the gifts that you've been given. Johnson continued, you and your generation live in an era of unprecedented wealth and growth. More men and women have become wealthy in the last 20 years than at any other time in human history. You've been given a sound mind and a sound body, not to mention an energetic spirit as well as opportunity at every turn. And to top it off, you've earned a degree from one of the finest schools in the country. Again, the publishing tycoon repeated his question, this time demanding an answer. Why aren't you wealthy? I sat motionless and ashamed, ashamed that I could not answer his question, ashamed that I had failed to grasp past opportunities, ashamed that I have failed to realize that wasted time means wasted energy, wasted talents, and wasted potential. I now know that time is money. No one should waste an hour any more than we should waste a dollar bill. But most important, I was ashamed because I have failed to cultivate nurture, nurture, and emulate Johnson's passion and purpose for life. The millionaires among us are men and women of laser-like focus and concentration, wealth creators who have hammered away at one place long enough to accomplish their purpose. In a world of mostly have-nots, the wealthy and influential tend to be individuals with one overriding objective, one unwavering aim, Ironically, the man or woman who is forever looking about to see what he or she can find never finds a thing. In short, we find what we seek with all our heart. And if we look for nothing in particular, guess what? We find just that. I was ashamed because I was finally forced to answer to a man who served as my judge and jury. Johnson, a one-time have-not, has spent the better part of three decades crafting articles at night and peddling them during the day before he was given a chance to demonstrate his powers of persuasion to the world of commerce. After starting Ebony, he became a multimillionaire by age 40. A weaker spirit would have quit years ago. And this remarkably committed individual unselfishly carved out a piece of his day to school me on the demands of wealth. If you want to know how people feel about themselves, look at their bank account. Money is the greatest measurement of your mindset. There are thousands of men and women who have lost every material possession, and yet, because they possess a stout heart, an unconquerable will, and the determination to push ahead, they are just as far from poverty as before their loss. Here lies the good news. Wealth is less a matter of circumstance than it is a matter of knowledge and choice. With such wealth, no one should ever be poor. You must take control of your life. You must make the decision to be wealthy when the student is ready. During an economics class at Atlanta University, an inquisitive student asked the scholar and educator W.E.B. Du Bois for the quickest and surest way to prosperity. 
Quote, what I'm about to share, Dr. Du Bois replied, you will do well to write on your heart and place in your purse. Many a ruined man dates his downfall from the day he began buying what he did not need. If you are in debt, part of you belongs to your creditors. To whom you give your money, you give your power. More than a century later, Du Bois's words still resonate. Money is arguably one of humanity's greatest tools. Regardless of the heat it generates, money is like any other resource or commodity, neither good nor bad, neither sinful nor sacred. Other resources, however, money evolves from the thought process of those who possess it. It is an instrument, a standard that can be used for both good and evil by the rich and the not so rich, by the haves as well as the half nots. Too many of us, like the inquisitive student just described, fail to understand the importance of financial management. Only one path connects poverty and great wealth, the long and rugged road of faith, family, and hard work. What the marketplace wants are men and women with the ambition and nerve to work and wait, whether the world applauds, criticizes, or condemns them. Wealth requires a Janice Bryant Howroyd, who spent more than 25 years staring down hard times and toiling as a little fish in a big pond, building her one-woman temporary employment agency into a major corporate player. Long dismissed by the competition, Howroyd built her business brick by brick from a tiny Southern California office. She was raised as one of 11 children in the segregated South, and it wasn't until Howroyd took an economics course in college that she realized the depth of her childhood poverty. But in spite of this, her family surrounded her as they did each of their children with love, self-confidence, and an insatiable thirst for academic excellence. With less than $1,500 in savings and personal loans, this devoutly spiritual woman founded the ACT1 Group, one of the largest female and minority-owned companies in the country, boasting annual revenues of more than $600 million. What is the source of her wealth? Not genius, deep pockets, or well-placed contacts, but an unshakable faith matched by tireless passion and energy. Here's the secret that she personally shared with me nearly a decade ago. People, half a billion dollars seems like a vast sum of money. However, I've invested darn near every dime I've earned back into my company. I refuse to fall prey to the bling bling life. I've learned early on the power of the words, I can't afford it. Each day, men and women go to their graves in obscurity because timidity prevented them from making a start or at least an initial effort. If they had just begun, in all likelihood, they would have found their calling and achieved financial success. Reginald F. Lewis never knew when he was beaten. The words that were written on his heart throughout his life are now etched on his headstone. Keep going no matter what. This was Lewis's mantra as he struck the single deal that not only transformed his investment firm, the TLC group, but black owned business as well. In 1984, with only $1 million in cash and 24 million in borrowed funds, Lewis snapped up the Manhattan McCall Pattern Company, intent on revitalizing the 117 year old sewing pattern maker. Just a year later, he shocked the financial community by selling McCall's to the John Crowther Group, a British textile maker, for $63 million. Moreover, Crowther agreed to take on $32 million in debt owed by the Pattern Company. For TLC, the deal meant a remarkable 80 to, zero, 80 to 1 return on his initial $1 million investment. That coup ensured Lewis a top spot in Wall Street's financial community as he engineered TLC's next major transaction. The takeover of Betrice International, a global food manufacturer valued at $985 million. <clears throat> the odds may be a million to one against reaching your financial goals, but ever-present opportunities can shift the prospects in your favor if you just use your God-given talents and act. Why stand there with folded arms, begging the Creator for blessings that He has already bestowed? Hasn't He given you the necessary faculties and strengths? Hasn't He blessed you with a sound mind and a sturdy body? Is there no way in which you can utilize each passing moment to improve your condition and to be a benefit to others? Are all the seats taken? Are all the positions filled? 
are the resources of our great nation fully developed? Is the competition so fierce that you won't even try? With the world stacked with work that needs to be done and countless examples to encourage you to dare and find your highest good and true calling, why wait? Remember when the Israelites found themselves caught between Pharaoh's army and the crashing waves of the Red Sea, Moses asked for divine help. And the response, the Lord of heavenly hosts questioned, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. In other words, pay heed to your passion and seize the hour. Lack of opportunity is the excuse to be timid and fearful. Opportunities, they are everywhere. A new era is dawning. Thousands of men and women have made their fortune from ideas that others pass by or dismiss. Just as the bee <clears throat> creates honey from the same flower that the spider saps its poison, some men and women will produce their riches from the most common, trivial ideas that others discard. Countless positions that were closed only decades ago are now inviting you and me to enter. There is latent power everywhere waiting for the observant eye to discover. If it is wealth that you seek, study yourself, your own needs, and your wants. Opportunities. Every life is full of opportunity. Every breath, every moment, and every encounter is an opportunity. An opportunity to look past the traditional, to step over outdated methods, and to ignore the words, that's the way it has always been done. Every classroom, every book, and every lesson is an opportunity. An opportunity to prove and improve yourself. An opportunity to say yes, though the world says no. An opportunity to put it all on the line and an opportunity to immerse yourself in the dream buried in your heart. Every business transaction is an opportunity, an opportunity to serve, an opportunity to make a difference, an opportunity to test market conditions, an opportunity to stamp your brand, and an opportunity to let your light shine so you can glorify your father in heaven. Spot and seize opportunities as if they were gold. At are the words written above the door leading to prosperity and who should know better than Don Barden growing up in the shipyards of Cleveland, Ohio, Barden valued ambition and determination over money and connections before finding his place in the field of enterprise. Extremely driven, Barden told those in his inner circle, I had to control the events of my life. It was my call. Either sulk and languish in poverty or carry out my plans regardless of the opinion of others. In the end, if you take care of business, your business will take care of you. Barden realized that the only way you can truly get ahead is by venturing into areas where others fear to tread. At last count, this casino operator and real estate developer was worth more than $500 million. Wealth requires a Maggie Lena Walker to hold her ground and push without fear or trepidation. At the turn of the 20th century, Walker was not a promising candidate for financial success by any measure. She was penniless in a world that valued wealth, a female in a society that favored males and a woman of color who sought riches in an arena where skin color mattered most. In 1903, through sound fiscal policies and boundless energy, Walker became the first woman, black or white, to charter a U.S. bank, the St. Luke Penny Savings. Refusing to be intimidated by poverty or racial injustice, she will counsel all those who will listen. No one can prosper when they expect to remain poor. Let's invest our money and reap the benefit ourselves. As her financial empire grew, Walker knew that besides providing the power to transform ideas, wealth equals freedom. The giants of the race have been men and women of exquisite concentration, individuals who just kept hammering away at one place until they reach their objective. If you're wondering what makes people wealthy, look no further than perseverance in spite of every difficulty, courage that enables you to overcome all trials and disappointment, and a single unwavering aim matched by intense purpose. There is no open door to the temple of wealth. Whoever dares to enter must forge his or her own way. There is no secret to amassing wealth. Lisa Nicole Cloud declared as she stood before room packed with teary-eyed women from every economic strata and walk of life. Ladies, this powerhouse of a motivator barked during a standing room only sales rally. The key to wealth is within your reach, but you must design your life or someone else will. 
I've walked in your shoes, she continued. I've been rejected, ridiculed, and kicked to the curb. Believe me, I know what you're going through. My journey from bootstraps to big time did not occur overnight. Plenty of nights I sank to my knees, asking God to reveal his purpose, his divine plan. My turning point occurred when a dear friend, a mentor, someone I respect and admire said to me during one of the lowest points in my life, Lisa, you will either live your dreams or live your fears. The only barrier that stands between you and what you want out of life is the will to try and the faith to believe in your dreams. Those words of wisdom changed her life. Five years ago, Cloud navigated the same road of uncertainty and instability as most employees who struggle within the corporate framework. As a pharmaceutical sales rep, each day she wondered if and when she would fall victim to corporate downsizing. She realized the security she had once felt in her career was gone, and she had to do something different. She began exploring a variety of business opportunities and soon discovered a new venture in the voiceover internet protocol direct sales arena. With a modest startup investment, Cloud decided to launch her own VOIP telecom business in the direct sales industry, devoting every spare moment to realizing her dream. Her strong work ethic has paid off handsomely. Not only has she created unbelievable success for herself, she is internationally known as the millionaire maker, training and developing tens of thousands of direct sales associates around the world, many of whom boast seven-figure incomes. Cloud's message is on point and simple. Turn potential into performance and adhere to the traits and qualities of the financial elite who live life on their terms. Opportunities, you ask. Opportunities are endless. And she should know, still in her mid-30s, she has already been dubbed the queen of district sales. At a time when opportunity and wealth call out and demand the best in each of us, Tyrese Gibson stands out as the ultimate icon of nerve, imagination, and fortitude. Gibson wasn't destined for stardom. Raised by a single mother in the rough and unforgiving neighborhood of South Central Los Angeles, he was statistically more likely to be a victim of a drive-by shooting than a financial success. Gibson was six years old when his father left the family of four children. Instead of succumbing to the crime-infested streets, Gibson decided to battle his way out. It was far from easy, he shared with me after speaking to my freshman business seminar class, but I always believed in myself and that I could overcome any odds. Poverty and confusion are not deterrents to success. As a child, his household was filled with the sounds of soulful balladeers, including Stevie Wonder, Donnie Hathaway, and Marvin Gaye. Between those rhythm and blues giants and his mother, Gibson was inspired to never be caught without a song on his heart or melody on his lips. In other words, he pursued his hobby of singing. In 1995, that hobby turned into a career. Gibson answered a casting call posted on the wall in his high school. A local public relations firm was combing the area, searching for an African-American male to serve in the lead role of a soft drink promotional campaign. Gibson didn't hesitate. Unable to find a ride to the audition, he rode a city bus instead and was two hours late for his appointment. Ironically, the producer and the ad agency director were caught in the same traffic. Despite the, le the delay and never want to be weakened by excuses, the budding entertainer convinced the director that he, Gibson, was born for the part. When the curtain fell on his first take in a makeshift back alley studio, his reputation was made. Thanks to his achievements, Gibson is now known to millions as a multi-platinum singer, songwriter, actor, fashion model, and author. When I asked for the keys to financial empowerment, he stood to make his point. Attack your dreams with a solitary purpose and vision and learn to get out of your own way. Opportunities, they are all around us. The surest and quickest way to a fortune is through humanity's prime necessities. Each of us is forced to toil for our own food, shelter, and clothing. Although initially people may struggle, anyone who is wise enough to supply society's wants, prudent enough to improve the methods that humanity can use, and clever enough to offer comfort, leisure, and peace of mind to the well-being of others will eventually rise to distinction. Riches are lying everywhere for the observant eye. Many of us who believe we are poor are rich in possibilities. In spite of Black America's advances, only 40 years removed from the civil rights movement with more successful, educated, and accomplished entrepreneurs and corporate professionals than at any other time in history, the journey is far from over. To be honest, it is only beginning. These pockets of prosperity, a gulf as vast and deep as the Nile, 
separates the majority of the black community from its financial elites, as well as from virtually every other ethnic group in our society. The abyss between wealthy blacks and poverty stricken blacks is more than disturbing. The unemployment rate for young black males in some urban areas is fast approaching Great Depression levels. More black males than ever are incarcerated, attend miserably failing segregated inner city schools, and live in gang-infested, crime-ridden neighborhoods. These impoverished enclaves have become the equivalent of a domestic third world country. But these are not problems without solutions. Though the challenges that confront this market segment may be deep and vast and may desperately need addressing, the purpose of this book is to highlight the infinite possibilities that are available to all who inhabit the world, possibilities that have been brought to my attention and clarified by Black America's wealthiest. Unfortunately, you would be hard-pressed to find a course in our educational system titled Wealth One-on-One. -on -One. Few of us are even taught the basic rudiments of money how to make it, keep it, share it, and open our hands to it. Over the years, I have learned that much of the accepted wisdom about race and economics is based on conjecture rather than fact. It would take a lifetime to untangle the myths, inaccuracies, and stereotypes that cloud the quote-unquote Black experience. And the most mindless idea of our time is that wealth in general, or millionership specifically, is attainable only by those of a certain class, race, or economic stratum. As this book will prove, Nothing can be further than the truth. You, the reader, will come to understand that building a seven-figure income requires more than a successful enterprise or career. In fact, much more. The wealth creators interviewed for this study were quite clear regarding the path to wealth, not to mention the bigger picture, financial empowerment. The millionaires profiled here are convinced that Black America's top priority for the 21st century should be closing the wealth gap. With regard to wealth, prosperity, and fiscal fitness and awareness, what do Black millionaires know that so many people fail to comprehend? These wealth creators know that our prosperity as a nation depends on the personal financial prosperity of each individual. They know that proper preparation is the key to financial success. They know that if you invest in yourself, you will never be poor, and that if you ask for little, you will receive little. They know that debt is like any other trap easy to tumble into, but difficult to escape. They know that nothing makes a man or woman independent as, as, as cash and that an investment in knowledge will always return the highest dividend. They know that prosperity flows only through channels that are open to receive it and that anyone can overcome poverty and that the individual who has nothing but money confronts another form of poverty, one that can never be conquered. They know that thrift not only safeguards the future, but allows one to work with confidence and most important, black millionaires know that true wealth can be found in these words. Make all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. These principles and laws lie at the heart of the wealth choice. Operation New Life. I've read countless books on finance and economics, and I have worked for years with the financial elite. I found one common chord that resonates among those who control vast resources. They don't implement wealth generating habits only when they need, feel the need to do so. Rather, they habitually live in a state of wealth. In other words, there is more to wealth than just learning about money. Black millionaires rep repeatedly take certain actions, consistently adhering to routines that allow them to create and maintain considerable wealth. They save, dream, plan, invest, and give in a never ending cycle. Behind their routines and habits lies a basic core beliefs. The first of which is that money is plentiful for those who understand the simple laws that govern its acquisition. On November 4th, 1986, my life forever changed. Though I never met Napoleon Hill, famed author of the seminal classic, Think and Grow Rich, I did meet and develop a relationship with his manager and business partner, W. Clement Stone. Stone's slipped back hair, bow tie, pencil mustache, and omnipresent cigar marked him as a creature from the roaring 20s. But when I met him at his Chicago office when he was 84 years old, his handshake was vice-like. Stone, a visionary and an icon, was once named the world's wealthiest. Seldom can a single individual affect the lives of an entire generation for the better, not to mention the lives of future generations, but Stone did so. As the founder and president of Combined Insurance Company of America, no one spoke on the subject of wealth and achievement with more authority or experience. Stone was the foremost spiritual descendant of Benjamin Franklin, Samuel Smiles, Orison Sweat Martin, 
and other giants in the self-help field. During our meeting, he shared a few pearls of wisdom. Desire is the beginning of all human achievement. When you go for something, don't return until you get it. Success is achieved by those who try. When there's nothing to lose by trying and everything to gain, if successful, by all means, try. If you cannot save 10% of all that you earn, the, seedness, the seeds of greatness are not in you. Prayer is mankind's greatest power. Above Stone's desk hung a portrait of George Washington kneeling in prayer before battle. A testament to Stone's lasting belief in the oldest self-help philosophy in the world. I never engage in any action Stone confessed without praying for guidance. But the Great Depression hit Stone hard. By 1937, his company's 1,000 employee sales force had shrunk to 135, and he was $28,000 in debt. As fate would have it, he was given a copy of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Stone devoured the book. He distributed copies to his reps and watched company revenues explode. By 1952, Stone had personally earned more than $100 million from his combined insurance company of America. What was in that book? The answer to that question goes back to 1908 when author Napoleon Hill was a 25-year-old magazine reporter. During an interview, steel giant Andrew Carnegie tossed the young journalist a massive challenge. Carnegie promised Hill he would introduce him to the greatest wealth creators of his day, provided the expiring writer would devote the next 20 years compiling their success secrets into a book. Hill would receive no pay. Moreover, in Carnegie's vest pocket was a stopwatch. He told Hill that an individual who makes fast decisions can be trusted to carry them out. If Hill hesitated for more than 60 seconds, the deal was off. For the next two decades, while supporting himself through a variety of positions in sales, advertising, education, and public relations, Hill interviewed more than 500 successful men, among them Henry Ford, Charles Goodyear, John D. Rockefeller, George Eastman, Marshall Field, and Thomas Edison. His Law of Success, published in 1928, won worldwide acclaim. However, it was Hill's blockbuster, Think and Grow Rich, published nearly a decade later, that truly hit a nerve in the Depression-era America. At last count, this single volume has sold more than 60 million copies. When I met Stone, I was 36 years old, married with three small children, and financially at the lowest point in my life. Prior to this encounter, I was one of those men leading a life of quiet desperation. Although I had finished college and graduate school, I was dead broke. I had spent most of our income and every dime of our savings researching and interviewing Black achievers and peak performers for a book that would eventually become What Makes the Great Great. Outside of my writing, life was a living hell for me and my family. It seemed no matter how hard my wife Pat and I worked, we were always in debt up to our eyeballs. eyeballs. But I knew life held so much more. Back in the mid-1980s in the outskirts of Atlanta, Georgia, I lived in a nice house on a cul-de-sac overlooking a pristine wooded area surrounded by neighbors who were in our like family. As idyllic the view was then and still is today, I often found myself dreaming of a different view and a different life, not necessarily a better life, but a richer, fuller one. I wanted to see all that this world has to offer, to know some of the most interesting people, and to experience, learn, and truly grow individual. Quite simply, I wanted to succeed, especially spiritually and financially, though I was unsure exactly what success meant. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was about to take a long step into the future. Slowly but surely, word got out about my research. Because there was such an obvious void in the literature, I was asked to write a series of articles about the wealth creators at the center of this study. As fate would have it, one such article found its way onto pages of Success Magazine. Finally, in spite of all the tough years, I was earning a living as a writer. One year later, a break came my way. The Napoleon Hill Foundation caught Hill wind of my writings and out of the blue, I received Stone's phone call requesting a meeting in his palatial Chicago office. As Carnegie did with Napoleon Hill, Stone not only sought out me, an unknown writer, but he guided my development through his personal philosophy and principles while providing me with the offer of a lifetime to update and complete Hill's final work, a spinoff of his greatest effort dedicated solely to the economic advancement of Black America. 
On November 4th, 1986, the day I walked into Stone's office, I hoped that he would see my ambition and strong desire to learn and know, qualities I knew he admired and valued. My curiosity is perhaps the character trait of which I am most proud. I am and always have been intrigued by those men and women who, by dint of their own talent, creativity, promise, and perseverance, reached impressive goals and objectives and amassed high levels of wealth as a well-deserved byproduct of their accomplishments. Interestingly enough, the most successful people I have met along my journey share this one critical element, boundless, near insatiable curiosity. When it comes to growth, success, human development, and receiving all that life has to offer, they simply need to know. When Think and Grow Rich, a Black Choice, was released in 1991, I set a simple yet achievable goal to turn one-time victims into victors and to transform the least, the last, and the lost into peak-performing, high-achieving men and women. Operation New Life was what Wally Amos, the chocolate chip cookie tycoon, called the moment. You are going to create a new and improved you. Turn the page, Amos surged, and get started on the greatest journey of your life. True success, I added, is guaranteed when each of us discovers our inherent purpose, lives courageously, utilizes our gifts, and incorporates integrity into everything we do. To increase the prospect of both prosperity and personal empowerment, I identified 12 surefire principles that will set anyone onto the fast track of success. Along the way, with my follow-up effort, what makes the great great, again, through countless interviews with Black America's best and brightest I've constantly refined and expanded my inquisition to include practical advice as well as we all possess the seeds of greatness. I pointed out what makes the great great provides the tools to discover and nourish those seeds. As of this writing, I am happy to report that both works have been enthusiastically embraced by people from all walks of life, from private and professional associations to churches, colleges and the nonprofit sector. And with this book, the message has widened. Each year, approximately 50,000 manuscripts find their way to the editor's desk and are eventually published. Bookstores generally contain about 15,000 different titles. And yet of all the books you could be reading, you are holding the wealth choice. Is it fate, luck, chance, or coincidence? I don't believe it is any of these things. Nothing is coincidental. I'm convinced that many times during the course of our lives, the creator challenged us to be more and do more than what we thought possible. I know nothing of your particular circumstances, whether you are young or old, male or female, rich or poor. I do know, however, that you are in search of a better life and increased abundance. What I'm about to reveal to you has until now been known by only a fortunate few. Ironically, this key has evaded both the educated and the illiterate. Some who have been blessed with his wisdom have rejected it. They resisted and refused to listen, just as you may wish to do. This is your chance. Forget the past and welcome this day. You will be wise to understand that at any moment, the decisions you make can alter the course of your life forever. If you follow the instructions outlined in this book, the results will be automatic. You'll suddenly realize that you are capable of achieving, earning, and possessing far more than you ever thought possible and you will realize your potential simply by applying the seven laws of wealth, million dollar habits of men and women who have gone from rags to riches in one generation. I beg you to adhere to the words written by business philosopher Jim Rohn. Let others lead small lives, but not you. Let others argue over small things, but not you. Let others cry over small hurts, but not you. Let others leave their fortune in someone else's hands, but not you. And remember the four things that never return the spoken word, the speeding arrow, the wasted life, and the neglected opportunity. Now the choice is yours. All right, so let me see, how much more do we got? Let me see. All right, now it's going to get really interesting. Now it's going to get really interesting. So I'm going to stop here because um, what we're going to review tomorrow is the start of a new revolution. And we're going to really get into, you know, what are the statistics as far as our debt as black people? Um, he also goes into how we can have a financial revolution. And when we look at the studies, the median wealth of white households is 20 times that of black households, right? So 
they have 20 times the wealth that we have. And also, you know, it also goes to how our, our net worth as black people has fallen, you know, and almost declined from 53% from 2005 to 2009. And more than a third of black households had zero net worth during the same time period. Approximately 35% of African-Americans had no wealth or were in debt in 2009. Home ownership rates, this is the key part. Home ownership rates are highest for whites, 74%, and lowest for blacks at 46%. All right. 24% of African-Americans spend more than their income compared with only 14% of all Americans. 32% of blacks don't save at all. Less than one fourth of Americans fail to save. Nearly one third of white households own 401k or thrift savings account compared with less than one fifth of African-American households. White households are more likely to own stocks and mutual funds as IRA or COGA accounts, 10% or less of African-Americans own these assets and their median value, $8,000, is far below that of whites at 20000 Investments include such income-bearing tools such as stocks, bonds, mutual funds, equity shares, and private businesses, annuities, net cash value of life insurance policies, mortgages, certificates of deposits, treasury bills, savings bonds, money markets, checking accounts, cash, as well as gold and other precious metal. Basically anything of value that is reasonably liquid. Cap Gemini, a French-based information technology firm, defines a millionaire as anyone with investable assets of a million dollars or more, excluding primary residents, right? Black Americans spend more than $700 billion annually, yet Black-owned businesses receive less than one-half of 1% 1 of all sales receipts generated in the United States. So those are my highlights from here. I don't want to um, out-rent my book because I can only have my book for an hour a day. But I'm just going to share my, my highlights from the first chapter and also... If anybody wants to um, add on to this discussion, I'm going to drop the link um, because I really enjoyed this book. It actually made me smile a lot. It made me um, made me appreciate his words of wisdom. So my first highlight was when he said the biggest economic weapon that we possess is knowledge. So I had never heard that before. I never knew that that was a thing <laughs> until I read this. So I'm always talking about how black people seem to be disadvantaged, but knowing that knowledge is our greatest economic weapon is amazing motivation for me to always continue to learn, continue to read, continue to study and continue to improve myself. Also, I enjoyed the, the advice of W.E.B. Du Bois when he talked about over a hundred years ago that the number one problem that stops somebody from becoming rich is their spending habits, right? So that still applies today. That still applies right now. And that still applies to, um, you know, when we want things, when we want Prada, when we want to wear Gucci, when we want, you know, a hundred thousand dollar car, that is the number one way to put ourselves in debt. And that's what stops us from becoming millionaires. And then I also learned that the definition of a millionaire is not somebody that has a million dollars. It means somebody that has a million dollars worth of investable assets. So investable assets like mutual funds, stocks, bonds, um, IRA accounts, um, certificate of deposits, right? And this information that more than 32% of the black community does not save at all, I, I had no idea. And, you know, until I read this book, I did not understand the power of saving. But like I told you guys yesterday, my grandmother was poor, but she still knew how to save. She just didn't know how to invest. So those are the, the, the two key skills that everybody needs to gain, right, is not just about saving, right, because that's one half of it, but it's also about investing, right? So. Remember when we talked about, 
yesterday when we talked about how the Fox News reporter got upset with Fox News because the Fox News director told her not to cover Bitcoin at 5 p.m. for the urban black audience. She said that black people, specifically older black people, would not be interested in Bitcoin. So that's a very key thing because there's so many different sources of income that we need to be generating besides just um, what we make from our nine to five. And a lot of people are just content with what they make from their nine to five, right? So um, that was also a key takeaway. A key takeaway was that these, these millionaires have laser-like focus and amazing concentration. So we have to improve our concentration, our ability to focus, our ability to persevere, even when we may feel like we have lost or we may feel like we have been slighted. We have to wake up every day with determination and we have to have perseverance and courage just to even start, right? And that was on somebody's tombstone. Um, I think it said, he said, keep going no matter what. And that was a phrase that he lived by. And then also the question that the, the owner of Ebony Magazine asked him, he asked him, why aren't you rich? And he asked him that several times. So that's a question, a value question that we need to ask ourselves every day. Why are we not rich, right? Because it's not about how much money we make right now. It's about are we investing our money? Are we saving at least 10% of what we bring home, right? So that is um, a, definitely a key question that I'm going to keep asking myself. And I encourage you to ask yourself that question um, whenever you you know, wake up in the morning, look at your bank account. And I also enjoyed when he said, you know, you can tell how a person feels about themselves by looking at their bank account. <laughs> so whatever's in your bank account right now, that's what you feel about yourself. So if your bank account is in the negative, that's because you've been feeling negative about yourself. If your bank account has a million dollars in it, that's because you've been feeling like a million bucks. So um, that was another highlight for me from this particular chapter. And um, also there's so many stories of black people, um, including the woman, I forgot her name, but she was a black woman in 1903 and she started a bank with no money, okay? That was over 105 years ago. So even now, black black people, we still we still can turn our situation as a, as a people behind because even back then, we had black women that were courageous enough to start and charter U.S. banks um, with no money, with no assistance, you know, without any experience. So, you know, that's something that we need to really learn from and learn from the examples of the Black Wall Street and learn from the examples of the owner of Ebony Magazine and learn from the examples of um, Napoleon Hill, right? Because he documented the the habits of the rich. And this this person followed up on Napoleon Hill's work by studying the secrets of Black wealth. So this is actually a continuation of Think and Grow Rich for anybody that um, has read that book before. So, yeah, that's pretty much those are all my highlights. Those are all the um, I appreciate it. Um, keeping it plain, did you have any highlights or anything that you uh, took from that particular first chapter? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Can you hear me clearly? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay. Yeah, the, um, the part that I took out was uh, the one that I emphasized more than anything. And, uh, that is uh, making that investment in yourself. And uh, that is one of the most important things. You can't go wrong when you make that investment in yourself. You can't lose. Um, I, uh, I occasionally go to the casino sometimes. Not, a, not big on it, but every now and then. But... Um, my biggest thing is, is always betting on me, you know, always taking that chance with myself instead of taking that chance with someone else. So you just can't go wrong. That was that was one of the biggest things that I took out of it. Shock, bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. You know, I also I liked when he said, um, remember, we talked about this. Why aren't you rich? Yes. It's a value like question. A key value question, right? And we don't ask ourselves that, but you know, a lot of these um, 
these foreigners, they ask themselves that, like, yo, I'm in America. They look at this like the land of the free and <laughs> opportunity galore. So um, that's what he kept emphasizing throughout the book is that opportunities are everywhere. So we can't yeah. allow we can't allow racial injustice to to empower us. Yes, yes. You know, you and I we we discussed that in details about not letting things like that get in our way. But uh, you know, we have to, you know, as black people, we have to really start uh taking this um taking this system real serious and uh, try to really minimize our excuses because you know you can't not get out here and uh, make money and make excuses because those that are making money, they're not making excuses. And those that are making a lot of excuses, they're not making any money. They're not making ways through, through this system here. So mm -hmm. those are one of the things I, I try to uh, emphasize to definitely younger people, you know, start a business up, start a small business up. If you don't have anything in mind, do what I did, you know, go and get the small business opportunity magazine, look through it. Ideas may come to you, you know, just remember, man, you're just an idea away from being a millionaire. You know, okay. you just got to get focused and get your mind together, you know, and uh, these are the things I talk about most of the time. And you know this, Rob, because you not have a lot of private conversations sometimes about things like this. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's an excellent book that you got. And uh, keep on um, giving that information out, you know. You, you, you know, you're not going to have a lot of people on the, uh, you know, on your show talking when we're talking about things like this. But it's okay, you know. You're not looking for a lot of, you know, you're not looking for a huge percentage of people that think like this. So only that micro percentage of people is what you're looking for. And it's out there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he said he said if you cannot save ten percent of what you take home, then you are not meant to be a millionaire. And thirty-two percent of us automatically lose because I'm thirty-two percent of us don't save. Yes. So that's now, a problem. Now, Shakamra, if you were to go deep into that part of it, Shakamra, and well, if you were to if you would expound it on that, now you're not gonna save your way to no wealth. We understand that. That saving is to put you in the move of of discipline. That's to put you in the mood of discipline. You're only way going to get to to where you're trying to go, and you're talking about millionaire status. Is you're going to have to invest your way into that right. millionaire status, right? You know, so right, right. That and is a part. That just the saving part is a part of discipline yourself. See, and that mm -hmm. is not not getting crazy with your spending habits. And things like that. You know, you and I had a conversation about that yesterday. We talked mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. About the about the example I gave you about about my girlfriend and uh, things like that. And uh, <laughs> uh, I have to hone her in because uh, she's got no discipline. So, <laughs> yeah, she's got no discipline. <laughs> hey that's a hard thing, man. That's tough. You got to work that one out. But you know. Yeah, man. Oh, look. <laughs> trust me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. It's, it's worked out, but, you know, it's something you just have to, you know, it's something that I have to work on with her with, but, uh, you know, it's a story for another day, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite sure that there's a lot of people that's, uh, you know, may, they, may be, they may be married. One may be the discipline and the other one may be, you know, the wild spender. You know, so, you know, sometimes you run into that. But that is to, that's another way that you can discipline yourself and also discipline, you know, the other party, you know. Right. I mean, because all they're asking is about 10%. So, yes. So if you bring home $3,000 every two weeks, all they're saying is put up $300 every two weeks. Yep. You know what exactly. I'm saying? So it's not, even if you make McDonald's salary, put up $30 every two weeks. So mm -hmm. this is important for young people. Facts. You remember, you remember the example that you gave me, not mean to cut you off. Give that story that you gave about your grandmother, uh, what she was able to do with saving, 
that was man that was that was shocking man but mm-hmm. you as you said she didn't have any financial literacy but right. she 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 knew how to save yeah my grandmother was um on welfare her whole life right and she was a single woman she didn't um have it never married and um, she actually didn't work until um my youngest aunt was 18. so she um, left michigan she went to alabama to work as a housekeeper and um she lived you know what many people call the ghetto but um she worked as a housekeeper i think she made um eight dollars an hour and when she died everybody was shocked because um she left you know my mom and my three aunts uh, like around twenty thirty thousand dollars so when my grandmother died there was we didn't have to worry about how to pay for her funeral um, we didn't have to worry about anything. Um, she had been saving money for over 20 years. So um, that example was a very strong example because um, I got another example. So my grandfather on my dad's side died like three months ago. Um, <clears throat> but when he died, he didn't have any savings. He didn't have anything. So, um, you know, when he died, we had to kind of, you know, come together, me, my dad, my sister, my family, we had to come together to make sure that the funeral arrangements and everything was paid for. But in both examples, right, um, my grandfather was from Tennessee and my grandmother was from um, Alabama. So they both grew up in the South and um, in the South, a lot of times, you know, there's a, they're just trying to make it right. They're just trying to survive or eventually they came to the North for a better opportunity. So my grandmother, even though she didn't have financial literacy, she didn't own a car, she didn't own a home, she didn't own a business, um, she didn't have any, she didn't even have a TV, but she still knew how to save, right? Even with nothing, even with you know the bare minimum, she was able to save tens of thousands of dollars with a housekeeper's um, salary. So everybody can save, you know. I tell That's that story, so everybody know. Everybody can save. I don't care if you're working at McDonald's. You need to have something put away because you just never know, right? When you might, you could pass away. Um, <clears throat> you know, she kept her insurance policy paid, right? She she paid that. <laughs> and, um, you know, <clears throat> with my grandfather, he didn't have that, right? Because he didn't, um, he wasn't working. You know, he was sick by the time he died, but he didn't, he wasn't necessarily able to think 30, 40 years or 50 years into the future when he would be, 80 years old and you know he he wasn't thinking that far ahead but my grandma my grandmother on my mom's side definitely thought ahead so that's a quality that everybody needs you need to be thinking about what are you going to have in your bank account in the year 2040 or 2050 yes. what are, what's going to happen if you pass away unexpectedly is your family going to be taken care of is your funeral going to are you going to have an excellent funeral or are you going to have a you know a low grade funeral i know if i die i better have a good ass funeral so, <laughs> so that's how you got to have that's the mindset you have to have even if you are s- scraping pennies together right now every dollar that you put away um is worth it well you know my thing is this shakara which i always say you know this country's got a lot of craziness and uh, a lot of racism and all this that goes on here but in spite of all that, you can, on the drop of the hat, or just pivot on a dime, and you can turn your life around. You can do that, you know. Because in we some can. countries, some countries that you are born into, if you're born into poverty, and it doesn't matter what your education status is or what you or what you know, you are set to be poor for the rest of your life. But um, here you can turn things around in spite of all the madness and the craziness. And we don't have to keep going into that because uh, that's, a, that's a story and a subject for another day. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, remember he said, how, whatever's in your bank account is how you feel about yourself. So <laughs> I'm like, shit, yes. I ain't been feeling too good about myself <laughs> the last four months. But that's about to change because I'm I go back to work on Monday. So <clears throat> I'm paying attention to that. And also we're gonna talk about um we're gonna talk about accounting 
um, in my next video, and we're going to talk about the NBA. We're going to talk about why athletes are rich, but they're not wealthy. So there's a huge difference between being rich and having wealth. So the, the people that own the NBA have a, have a different cash flow than the people that play in the NBA. So um, it all goes down to cash flow. What's coming in? And if you look at the cash flow of the wealthy, it, it goes in so many directions. <laughs> like we talked about the 70-20-10 rule. I think you said you follow the 80-20 rule, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what are the benefits of the 80-20 um, budget rule? Well, the benefit uh, on, on, on that is, uh, um, that uh, you know, 20% um, of the people, the 80-20 rule is, is simply stated that 20% of the people will get it and 80% will not get it, you know, and uh, um, you benefit more. I mean, it sounds crazy. It sounds cold and calculated, but you got to understand that 80% of the people are just not going to get it. You be you would benefit off 80% of the people not getting it. And you'll be in that 20% that get it, you know. So um, uh, you just study that rule. Go back and study that rule. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to um, definitely talk about budgeting and um, accounting and investing. And um, last thing I'll say is that anybody that wants to make some investments, um, go to Cash App. Go to There's an app called Stash where you can um, invest in the marijuana industry legally. Everything is legal with this app called Stash. And there's also Robin Hood um, and there's also Crypto Trader. So um, <laughs> yep, Robin Hood is for stocks. Um, and yeah, I laugh. I'm sorry, Rob. I don't mean to cut y'all, but I laugh when I hear the word Robin Hood because I know what Robin Hood, the character Robin Hood portrayed. So I kind of laugh, you know. <laughs> you know, yeah. steal from the rich, give to the poor. You know? <laughs> exactly. But exactly, you know. You know, exactly. You are supposed to <laughs> you, you get from the rich today, you know. So as soon as my debit card gets here, I'm um I'm gonna be doing live investing on YouTube. I'm gonna show everybody how to do it and cash out. But you would think something um something as simple as owning um what a thousand dollars worth of Tesla could could have turned into two hundred thousand dollars over four years. So you don't have to have a lot of money to get started. I think a lot of people when they hear the word invest. They get turned off because they say, oh, shit, I don't have no money for that. You know, I'm trying to pay my bills, but you don't have to have um, you don't have to have a bunch of money to invest. And a lot of people have that misconception. Um, Bitcoin didn't start off at thirty thirty five thousand. It started off at less than a dollar. So, yeah, that's true. That's that's the last thing um, I'm going to say in this one, because I'm about to talk about the NBA um, in my next one. So. Can, can I share one more thing with your audience, Chakra? Uh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Hey, you know, we talked about you, you're on the investment thing here, and I I challenge anyone in uh, the state that you reside in. I'll tell you one thing that would be great to, to get started in, and that is uh, tax liens in your area. So it's, 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 it's real lucrative. It'll take a little, little time to, to maybe go and visit your county courthouse to do um, – a little research on properties before you decide to uh, 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 pay the tax liens up on them. But and mm -hmm. and and in most states, you know, um, you know, especially the state that you're in, Chapel Raw, I think you get anywhere from, I think it's anywhere from twenty-five to fifty percent return on your money. I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So every state varies, and sometimes from county to county it varies. So it'd be great to go. A, before you, you know, started to maybe look into that and purchase anything, you would go to go and visit your county courthouse because uh, I look at it as being very lucrative that you get in and uh, uh, put your investment there because you do get a, a good rate of return on your money. So that wow. is something. Okay, so you're yeah. saying you invest in um, so tax are you you talking tax about tax money specifically? Got you. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what about um collections? Can you invest in collections? Oh, man. Yes, yes. That is also lucrative. Now, 
now with you know with the economy being the way it is you know the jobs people don't have many jobs and 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 you know you're going through the you know the thing with the with the job rate being kind of kind of high and uh but that'll be that, that's another lucrative business you know i share things with you on that with the business that are looking to start back up again and um uh as it's 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 it's, it's, it's purchasing judgments and collections and judgments though they parallel a little bit but they're not the same so uh judgments is something that you stand before a judge and a judge award either the plaintiff or the defendant a piece of paper and saying hey i award you uh three thousand dollars now good luck and go and collect your money because they don't do the collection for you but you can take that piece of paper that you get and do a series of events and uh I'd like to share that with you one day too, Shakamara, and show you how to do that. And uh, you can actually go in and uh, uh, have their wage garnish. And you receive 25% of their wages until that judgment is paid off. Mm -hmm. And you will receive a check periodically from the county courthouse until that debt is settled. Wow. That's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, it's just some real simple. Do you have any um specific companies or um just in general? <laughs> uh no, I mean I when when I buy uh my judgments, it's uh man, it's from a lot of different people. It's just maybe just uh you know, a lot of uh, just individual people mm-hmm. that they have them. They have they have judgments against people and they hey, I've done anything with this judgment. Well look. You know, I come along and buy from from pennies on the dollar, and uh, um, they haven't collected anything on it. And um, I go through the series of what uh, people do so well in uh, in that sector, and they're doxing people. So we track people down, and we we get a lot of information on them. But you know, on uh, you know, if they if they do have a job and things of that nature, we track them down and we find them, and uh, we take that piece of paper and we attach that to the job, and the job will. They, they they know exactly what to do, um, and uh, they will start you know start start the process of the uh, of the garnishment and uh, send that money to to your county courthouse and the county courthouse will send that money to you. So it's a process, but mm-hmm. it's very lucrative though. Oh, that's excellent! I had no idea that you could um, invest in tax liens, judgments, um, oh yeah, collections. So that's yes. another income source for yes. for us as a people. Um, so that we can have multiple sources of income going at a time. So, um, last question. So what would be an initial investment? Um, do you have like a, a a ball range, like a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, like how much would it cost to get started? Oh man. Uh, the way I got started, Shaka Raw, my initial investment, uh, it was about right at about a thousand dollars to get everything set up. Like I wanted it, you know, my fictitious name. Uh, um, and, um, you know, uh, get things, you know, get, um, uh, your letterheads and things like that together and stuff like that. So I was out about maybe about a thousand bucks to get everything set up and get started. So, you know, not uh, bad, not bad know, at all. Not bad, you know, not bad. And, and I can tell you, Shakara, my first, my first deal, I netted 1600 bucks. <laughs> it was beautiful, man. <laughs> wow. You got $1,600 off your 16, first. 1600 bucks, man. I did I did a jig in the street because people did not believe that I could do this. And I was like, man, these, this is simple stuff. You know, it's real simple, you know, real simple. So I was excited, you know, just getting something started. And once I, I, I got the garnishment started, I never had to stand over that and water that again. I never had to to uh, do anything else to it. It was just, you know, the process ran out and uh, they sent me my money. And it was simple. Wow. That's yeah. awesome, man. So you just get see, you just gave the audience valuable knowledge. Value. Remember, we talked about knowledge is the most powerful economic weapon, right? So you just helped black people. Well, you helped everyone, but specifically we're focused on helping black people, um, you know, get out of debt. So even if you're in debt right now, you can take some money that you have and invest in some collections, some tax liens, some stocks, you know, get to some stocks and you might be able to pay your debt off, even though you're in debt by investing in other people's debt. That's amazing. 
Yeah, also, <laughs> I, I, also one thing, uh, uh, Shakara, I want to say again, because, you know, I can go on and on and we could be talking about a lot of different things when it comes down to finances and, and we're talking about business because, I, you know, you know that I, I don't talk about business. I do business. And, um, um, but, um, you know, a lot of people, I hear a lot of our people just talking about small things like, you know, like, like, like credit, things like that. But I just give, I just want to drop a nugget to the people that's, you know, they, they, they're so big on credit and they're thinking credit is, is, is everything. No, it's only, it's only one, one little stool to the, um, one leg to the, uh, to the stool of, uh, financial freedom. Now it can help. You can use it as leverage and that's what it needs to be used for. You know, you, you need to be used wisely. But if you want to know anything that your credit is doing well, if you're doing well, all you have to do is just watch, watch the offers in the mail that you get. When you start getting offers from banks, things like that, your, your, your big name banks, then you know your credit is well. You're mm -hmm. doing well. Your credit is great. So that's right. something to watch out for. So if right. you're not getting if you're not getting anything in the mail, if you're not getting the emails, then hey, I'll let you know one thing. Hey, man, you, you, you know, your credit is not so well. So that's something you need to work on. Yeah, yeah, because like you said, it's not all about credit. Um, they said the definition of a millionaire is what you have a million dollars worth of investable assets. So Fact. it's not a seven ninety credit score. That is not the only goal <laughs> that you want to have in life. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> I'm glad you brought that up because <clears throat> we do get caught up in the um, excuse me. <clears throat> we do get caught up in credit, credit, credit. But, yeah, yes. I get offers in the mail a lot. So um, yes. they're not big offers, but I didn't start getting those offers until I started um, bringing my credit up from poor to fair. So, yeah, um, that's really what it is there. Everybody's monitoring your credit, whether you realize it or not. So that, that, that's correct. And banks can't wait and banks cannot wait to lend you money. Banks want to lend you money. They want to do that. They want to do it. That's how they make money. How do you think these people stay in the business? So they definitely want to do that. So, yeah, but, um, but you know, you have to meet the requirements and things of that nature and stuff like that. So, and, 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 and I assure you, they don't care if you black, white or whatever, because I know our people get stuck up on things, get hung up on things like that. Sometimes, you know, there, there are isolated incidents where you have that, but you know, majority of cases, it's not like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because money's money at the end of the day. Yes. So that's what we got to focus on. And thank you so much um, for sharing those knowledge bombs with our audience. Um, you just helped me out. <laughs> you just helped me out a lot. And um, we're going to continue to have this discussion in our next video. We're going to talk about um, why professional athletes are rich but not wealthy. And we're also going to talk about cash flow. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our audience today. We really appreciate it, brother. And keep up, um, keep educating uh, the people around you and keep educating us. Appreciate you. All right, All right brother. Stay up. I, I will catch you on your next live. Man. All right. Peace out, bro. All right. All right, you guys. So we're going to do another discussion about the NBA. We're going to talk about cash flow. We're going to talk about the difference between being wealthy and rich. So I will see you guys in the next podcast. Peace.